Glory to God. I love that word, restore. Yes. Restore. Restore. Ever since the Garden of Eden, God has been working to restore things to the way He wants them in the lives of His children. Praise God. I thank God tonight for a word and an impartation from heaven to affect that change in our lives. And we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Well, we want to welcome you tonight and welcome to everyone who's tuned in by live stream. And I think I know one lady out there, my wife Phyllis is watching tonight. So we're glad to have you in the service. I told Pastor Lydia, I said, well, I know Phyllis will be here tonight. And she thought I meant that she was going to be here. She started jumping up and down. Praise the Lord. So shout loud and let us know you're there. But we're glad to have everybody that's tuned in tonight. And we're sure glad you came out tonight. Why don't you turn around and shake hands with somebody and tell them this. Tell them this. Listen closely. Listen closely. I want you to tell them this. Say, nothing is too good for you. Nothing is too good for you. And only the best is good enough. And only the best is good enough. Now point your finger at yourself and say, nothing is too good for me. Nothing is too good for me. And only the best is good enough. And only the best is good enough. Amen. That's a word that the Lord told me. You can be seated. That's a word that the Lord told me to tell his people. He said, you tell them that nothing is too good for them and only the best is good enough. Praise the Lord. Well, we're so delighted to be here tonight and I, my only regret is that it's the last night of this series of meetings. I, um, I hope you've enjoyed them. I tell you, one of the things that I've seen in these services <clears throat> that... Uh, has blessed me a great deal. And that is, we started out talking yesterday morning uh, in the AM service about vision. And we looked, uh, you know, at several scriptures. Again, we looked last night, Habakkuk chapter 2, and we talked uh, about vision. But what I sense is, not just we're not just talking about vision, but God is working in us to enlarge vision. And He is working in these services to impart vision. And I want you to think along those lines tonight. I want you to think in terms of receiving vision, not just learning about it or hearing about it or even, uh, you know, rehearsing what you've known in the past. Let's open our hearts and let God enlarge our vision. See, we're in the last days. Praise the Lord. And uh, this is done by the Holy Ghost and by the Holy Ghost alone. He is the one who imparts and instills vision in us. And it's by his word, by the word of God, and an understanding of God's word that we, that we receive these glimpses that set our courses and change our lives. Glory to God. So important to hear from God. As the pastor said, what he was talking about, I like to refer to it like this. I call it the voice behind the voice. There is a voice coming from the pulpit. But when the anointing is present, there's a voice behind that voice, a voice from heaven that'll say things to you that don't come out of the man's mouth, but they come out of the heart of God. And anybody who's ever ministered uh, from a pulpit has had this experience, if they've ministered under the anointing, how they tell 
preach a message and then somebody will tell them after the service is over, man, that, that word was so strong and God showed me and, and, and you, when you said this, and I'll say thank you, God bless you, thanks for coming today, and I'll walk away and think, I didn't say that. <laughs> I did not say that. I know I didn't say that. But they heard that because God, God's voice was behind my voice, and that's the voice that matters. That's the, people can misunderstand things that people say. Now, I can't tell jokes because we put the, <coughs> the moratorium on those yesterday morning, so I, I, I dare not do that. But I can give testimonies, can I? Yeah, I can tell true stories. And so, you know, communication is so important and, and hearing things right. We were at Disney World one time when the grandkids were small. We'd taken all, I have four grandkids, and we'd take them all of them down there and their parents and my wife and I. So we had gone to Disney World and spent the day there, and early that morning when we, you know, bought our passes, they offered a after-hours pass that you could pay extra for. The park normally closes at, say, whatever it is, 5 o'clock. But if you had an after-hours pass, then you could stay until, you know, 8 or 9, whenever the, the, the second closing is, watch the fireworks, see the parade and all that. So we had purchased the after-hours pass. So we had ridden the rides all day long and, you know, eating the turkey drumsticks and done the whole, done the whole thing. Well, um, the kids wanted to ride the Winnie the Pooh ride again. There was a ride down there, Winnie the Pooh. So they wanted to ride the Winnie the Pooh ride about the time the park was closing for the first time. So they had ushers that were standing at strategic points and they were directing people out, you know. And of course, we had a pass, so we were just going to go on. And now then, we were excited because the lines would be shorter, people were leaving. And uh, my daughter-in-law walked up to one of the uh, ushers, one of the attendants, and she said, Winnie the Pooh, where is it? And he, his, his response was strange. He said, well, go, go, and pointed this way, go. And so we went, and really, he didn't even point us in the right direction. So we finally found it, but we puzzled for the next 45 minutes to an hour about what that was strange. What was that reaction? Finally, my son-in-law came up with, he thought we, he thought you said, we need to poo. Where is it? Because we, we got four little kids in tow. We need to poo. Where is it? Well, go, go, go. So it's not always what you say. Sometimes it's what the other fellow hears. Amen. Praise God. So... Here we go, praise the Lord. God has given us eyes to see and ears to hear. Go with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 60. The Lord took me to this passage of scripture and I just want to touch on it and share some things with you. Isaiah chapter 60, beginning in verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light is come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Verse 4, lift up thine eyes round about and see. Everybody say, lift up your eyes and see. All they gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. 
Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, the forces or the wealth of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. And then we'll skip down to verse um, 16. It says, Thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles, and shall suck the breast of kings, and thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior, and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. For brass I will bring gold, and for iron I will bring silver, and for wood brass, and for stones iron. I also will make thy officers peace, and thine exactors righteousness. And then finally in verse 18, Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. Now call your attention particularly to that 18th verse. Call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Now this actually, if you read it in context, this is a millennial passage of scripture. Chapter 60 is a foretaste, uh, 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 a glimpse into the future, if you will, of the millennial reign of Jesus. And he's talking here, of course, to Israel. But there is a, there is a, an, uh, a phenomena, I suppose is, is a word, that um, every believer needs to understand. And that is, it's important that we know that, the, that God has worked and continues to work in dispensations. And right now we are in a dispensation of God. It's called by the church the dispensation of grace. Prior to this, was the law of Moses. It was called the dispensation of law. There have been several dispensations prior to that, God's early dealing with man, and there is coming another dispensation where, of course, God will once again deal with the, the Jews. The 70th week of Daniel will be um, concluded. Uh, the, the final battles, the reinstatement of Jesus' throne in the Jerusalem, then the New Jerusalem, and all of the things that we read about in the book of Revelation. So we're in a dispensation right now, and this dispensation, this also called the church age, is coming to an end. It was designed to begin and to end. The early church thought that the end was imminent, and Jesus, nor the Spirit of God, told them any different. He told them, nobody knows the day and the hour. The Father, they asked Jesus, will you now again set up your kingdom? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know these things. He said, your job is to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you'll be witnesses unto me. And so we, we, we walk this and we, we, we kind of juggle these truths that we have. We know that today, 2,000 years after Jesus is raised from the dead, we're closer to the end of this dispensation than ever before. If they thought that Jesus' return was imminent, how much more should we be aware of that? But now, as one transition, as one dispensation ends, another one begins, and there is a transitional period that takes place. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, was a operated in a transition of the dispensations. What do I mean by that? Well. Of course, he, he came as an Old Testament prophet and he was bound by the word of God, by the law of Moses. And there were things that he could do and things he couldn't do. He laid his 
heavenly powers aside, and he walked as an Old Testament prophet. And yet at the same time, he brought forth truth and revelation and did things in his ministry and helped people in his ministry in ways that was a foretaste of the dispensation of grace that we're in, the church age. He forgave sin in a way that was not available under the law, you see. He, uh, he, he ministered a, a whole lot of things. Now, miracles, they were part and parcel of the Old Covenant, but Jesus brought a focus into things that uh, they didn't understand. And as a matter of fact, they, that was the big problem. Even his disciples didn't get it in a lot of cases because Jesus is operating both in the Old, but he's also pulling some things out of the New Covenant and in, 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 uh, revealing them and giving them a taste of things to come so that we can read his life and ministry and we can realize, all right, this is who we are. and This is what we have access to plus. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing. As we come to the end of the dispensation of grace and we look forward to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, there's another transition. And you and I, <clears throat> if you want to call us the last generation, and I believe we are. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not saying that every person in here will live to see the return of Jesus, but I'm totally convinced that some in here will. All right? And, and, and as a result of that, we being the final generation, we have access into some things in this next dispensation. And this is one of them. And these things that he's talking about here, these are things, this is, this is all part and parcel of the word of faith. You know, the, the, the church world has tried to make what they call the word of faith a, just a, 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 a doctrine or a movement or in some cases even uh, extremism and heresy. Um, I was told that two years ago, or maybe three years ago, a certain uh, uh, fundamentalist denomination, large denomination in our, in our nation, uh, officially declared that the prosperity message was heresy. <laughs> and and, and the, the only problem with that is that what they call heresy, the New Testament calls the gospel. It's just the gospel revealed in a way that they don't have revelation. But it's the same gospel because it's the same sacrifice. It's the same Jesus. It's the same cross. It's the same blood. It's the same bearing of the curse and unleashing of the blessing on the people of God. Ooh, glory to God. And see, this is what Jesus meant when he said, and this gospel will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. What do you mean this gospel? You see, what traditionally has been called the gospel has been preached around the world many times over many generations over the past 2,000 years. But this gospel, the word of faith, Paul called it the word of faith which we preach. See, Paul was a word of faith preacher. So the word of faith is not a movement, and it's not, a, it's not anything like that. It is the gospel in its fullness, at least as full as we can see, 
And yet at the same time, there's even more. And God has given us the privilege and opportunity. And this is why faith, there's such an emphasis on faith in these last days. That's the reason the message of faith has gone around the world and still is. It still is. I mean, it's multiplying exponentially in foreign nations and in other places. <clears throat> and so it's because we are called to live by faith. It is imperative that we live by faith if we're going to enjoy and experience and fulfill our responsibility. Well, we as people of faith, and every believer can do this, but we understand some of the how to do this. We can reach into Isaiah chapter 60 and take hold of these things and make them a reality in our lives. You can dwell in peace while the rest of the world is going nuts. You can walk in safety and protection while they're dropping like flies. A thousand shall fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Praise God. Are y'all here? Yes. Amen. You can prosper in the midst of financial failure and calamity and catastrophe. You can walk in health when pestilence is roaming night and day, when designer diseases are coming out of foreign laboratories by the scores, you can walk in health and you can walk in personal physical peace. Glory to God. You don't find stories and testimonies of Jesus laying out with the flu, having to call off a campaign or cancel church services because there was, he, he got the flu or the disciples were all down sick. No, not only did he walk in that health, but those that walked with him walked in that health. Glory to God. Amen. That's what we're called to, child of God. God wants us to have vision for that. Now notice again, I use this verse as an illustration. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. You remember Sunday morning, I made a point out of talking about, I like fences. I believe when I buy a piece of property, I believe God to put up fences and gates. Why? Well, because as I said, as I said yesterday morning, there's a, a Latin phrase that if I was going to get a tattoo, this would be what I'd get put, uh, this is what I'd have them put on. And it reads in Latin, Sivis Pacum Parabellum. And literally it means if you want peace, Prepare for war. You can prepare yourself and you can prepare your life to already be ready for any attack. Didn't Jesus say something about two men that built a house? He said, let me tell you about the, 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 the wise man. The wise man is the one that comes to me. Luke's account reads this. He comes to me. He hears my sayings. He does them. He's like a man that digged deep and built his house on the rock. And the storm came, the wind arose, and the floods beat against that house, and the house stood for it was founded on a rock. I bought a house oh, four years ago now. And uh, <clears throat> I fought this house because I didn't want it. First time I saw it, I, I drove up in the driveway and I looked at it and I said, nope, it, it, it's not what I want. And turned around and drove off. I looked all over a five-county area trying to find what I thought I wanted. I just kept coming back to this. And finally, ding, 
the lights came on. And I said, Lord, is this the house that you want us to, to buy and to live in? And it was. And so we did. Well, without knowing, I mean, I knew it was a nice house. I knew it was a good house. And it just, it, it, there were some things I thought I wanted that it didn't have. I'm just talking about not, not so much the house itself, but just the property. But um, uh, when I got into it, I found out that this is, it's on the top of a mountain. It's on the ridge of a mountain, one of the highest points in my part of the state. And when I look out my back, I just see ridge after ridge after ridge. But this house is built on a rock, on solid rock. It's the most well-built house I have ever had. And I didn't know all this going in. It's one of those deals where the more you're there, the more you see, wow, I didn't notice that at first. It's so, it's quality. It's e even like the electrical outlets. It's got them everywhere. It, it just, it was so well planned, so well thought out. But this house is built on a rock. Now down in the south, we're like you are here. We have these thunderstorms and there are winds and tornadoes. Of course, tornadoes don't mess with us, but we're not afraid of a little wind. We're not afraid of some rain. We're not afraid of these storms. Most houses that I've had in strong enough storms and wind, they'll, they'll have a little bit of creek to them. Just a little bit of, you know, just a little bit. This house is solid as a rock. Because it is attached to that rock, and that mountain's not going to move. I don't care how big the storm is. And this house I'm in is the same way. We just enjoy storms up there on the mountaintop. <laughs> the wind's blowing harder up there than it is down lower. And at the same time, this house, it doesn't creak, it doesn't shift, it doesn't, there, there, there's no give whatsoever to it. It is solid. And God gave me a physical illustration and a physical representation to remind me of what happens when you build on the rock. But then he talked about the foolish man. He said, the foolish man hears me but doesn't do what he hears. He doesn't do my saying. And he's the guy who just builds it on the sand or on the topsoil. And, this, and the storm comes and the wind blows and all that, and the house falls. And great is the fall of it. Now, I call to your attention this truth. Notice it was the same storm. It, was the same. it wasn't the storm that determined the outcome because the wind was the same and the flood was the same and the, and the storm was the same. The, the outcome was determined not by the intensity of the storm, but by the, but by, by the, the uh, uh, attention to the foundation and the construction of that house. So when I say build walls and build gates in your life, you know, we looked yesterday at, at uh, Ephesians chapter 2 where it talks about over and over, Jesus is our peace. He came preaching peace. He, uh, he, uh, uh, we who are afar off... He has now secured peace. Then you get over to the end of the book of Ephesians in uh, chapter 6, and it lists the components of the armor of God. And one of them is feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And the Lord used two of those words in just to, to, to trigger my, my thinking here. Preparation and peace. If you want peace, you have to prepare for it. Peace requires preparation. Okay? A lot of people think that living by faith is just, you know, uh, like 
Every day you get up and you believe God for that day's manna. But I submit to you once again, living paycheck to paycheck or living week to week or living day to day is a stressful way to live. It's not a peaceful way to live. I love seeing the miracles of God. I don't want to have to have one every day. I don't want that. I don't want, I don't want to have to, okay, it's crunch time based on what the stock market does. I don't want that. I want to be insulated from that. And I found out that God wants that for me. When he told Israel about where he was taking them, he said, I brought you out. We read it in Deuteronomy 11 yesterday. I brought you out of the place where you're walking to treadmills and going nowhere. I'm taking you into a land that you're going to build houses and that your gold is going to multiply and your silver is going to multiply and your cattle is going to multiply and your sheep are going to multiply. What is that? He is building a buffer, building a hedge, building a fence. Praise God. God is a God of fences. If we'll prepare, if we'll believe God, He will position us to where it doesn't matter what goes on out here. We won't be desperate to survive. Now, you know, I said be prepared and prepare for peace. I don't want to give you the, the, the uh, um, impression that I'm in any way a prepper in the traditional sense of it. I'm not, I'm not hoarding stuff, food and all that stuff, ready to hunker down in case the zombie apocalypse hits. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about positioning myself to where no matter what the zombies do, no matter what ap uh, apocalyptic things are going on around me, I'm in a position not only to thrive, but to help others. See, I'm the Boy Scout who wants to help others. I bought a house bigger than I need just in case somebody needs a room. Some people think when they get to a certain age, they're empty nesters and all that, they downsize. Not me. I'm upsizing. I'm supersizing. I got a house with more bedrooms right now than any house I've ever had. I could have all my family come over and shack up with me if need be. But they know how to thrive too. They know there's never going to be a need be. <clears throat> but you can position yourself against things. There's going to be things in life, storms and power outages and blizzards and, and things like that. Don't, don't live on the edge. Let God bless you and develop a plan and develop a, 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 a lifestyle. Begin to, begin to visualize a lifestyle of peace. Peace. Spiritual peace, mental peace, physical peace, financial peace. God said he would, in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he said he would bless your investments. But if you don't invest something, you give him nothing to bless. He said, I'll command the blessing on your storehouses. So I went online and changed all the names of my accounts, bank accounts, instead of Scott's checking, it says Scott's storehouse. It's just a name change, but words mean something. God didn't say he'd bless your checking account. He said he'd bless your storehouse. So I want to be sure he knows what I got. 
scripture. He knows what this is. He said he'd bless it. He said he'd fill it up. There it is, Lord. See, that's what you said. That's what I say. I do what you do. Peace. Peace. Having a financial buffer gives you peace. Now, of course, we don't have to preach to you don't misplace your trust in it. You know not to do that. We're not talking about that. I'm not talking to idiots. I'm talking to believers. All I'm doing is endeavoring to raise your sights, raise your vision, and let you know God wants to bless you with extra, with excess. He wants to build a fence around you. How do we know that? Well, we talked about Job a little bit. We didn't look at it, but we talked about it. Let's look at it just a minute. Go with me to the book of Job. Is this all right? Job chapter 1. <clears throat> there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. There were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. We got some ranchers in here. Any of y'all got ranches this big? Just wondering. You could have. I mean, it's available, but I, I, I don't know. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And then the final phrase of this needs to be underlined, highlighted in your Bible. Thus did Job continually. You see, what we see here in this story of Job, this is where the weak spot was. Job had a fear where his children were concerned, and he was, he, was, he was being proactive, but he was acting on fear rather than faith. He was worried and consumed with the idea that his kids might be messing up. And it says he did this continually, offering sacrifices for them. Listen, listen, the blood of Jesus... Hold it against, your, uh, against the devil where your family's concerned. You don't have to burn a new cow every day. The blood has been shed. All right. Now there was a time when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The Lord said to Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. He's taunting God. God didn't give him access to the earth, but Adam did. And Satan's rubbing his, God's nose in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for naught or for nothing or for no reason? Verse 10. Look at verse 10. I like this in your Bible. Underline it. Has not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and all that he has on every side? Thou has blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. And then he challenged God, put forth your hand and he'll curse you. And God said, I'm not going to put forth my hand against him. 
I'm not the, I'm not the cursor. I'm not the taker awayer. I'm the blesser. I'm the giver. But notice what even Satan recognized. Haven't you, God, you built a hedge around? Job didn't build his hedge. God did. And what was that hedge? Camels and sheep and oxen and cattle and all that good stuff. A thriving family? Well, now again, just for review's sake, you know these things, but you go over to the third chapter in the 25th, 25th verse. This is the companion verse to verse 5 of chapter 1, where it says, and this did Job continually, when things begin to fall apart and Satan got in there and began to destroy his, his wealth and destroy his, his uh, family and his health, the Bible says, and Job himself said, gave us the reason for it in verse 25. Never forget this. He said, for the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. You see, fear is faith. It's not the opposite of faith. It is faith. It's just faith in the devil. Fear is faith in the curse. It's faith in the unknown. It's faith in what might happen. It's faith in what they say is going to happen. Faith, Bible faith, is faith is based on God's word. But fear is based on everything but. You see? And so Job is greatly, he said, the thing which I greatly feared. Now, you know, understand fear. Everybody... Everybody has fear, and all fear is not bad. Fear is just a normal reaction. Like if I go, hey! You didn't scare me. You did. You jumped. <laughs> yes, I did, and she did too. <laughs> That's just a normal reaction. You know, somebody hide behind a door and jump out at you, and, you know, your heart jumps up in your throat. Well, well, that, that's that's normal. That don't don't worry about that. Oh, I'm not a first. Don't 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 get <laughs> defensive about it. You're just normal. You're all right, buddy. You're okay. I'm going to deliver you from this embarrassment. But it's great fear that that has to be dealt with and and has to be avoided. It's that fear that's with you all the time. It's that fear that you're constantly acting on. You know, you act on something that you're afraid of. Occasionally, it's, uh, that's not the deal. But the great fear is, is basically, I'm going to play with words a little bit just to strike your thinking, but the great fear is something that you've got faith, a lot of faith in. See? It's a problem, a curse, a, a potentiality, a, 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 an unknown that you have a lot of faith in. And you can build that into yourself or you can build it out of yourself. But when you've got faith in God and you're walking in God's plan and you're preparing for peace, what will happen is the hedge will grow. And you know, the thing about a hedge as opposed to just like a, a fence, a lot of times they would use living uh, uh uh, things, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like trees and shrubs and, and things like that, thorny bushes. They would use those as hedges. And the longer, the more time that passed, the more 
dense they would become and the, the, the harder to breach, you see. And then, then a wall would be the same way as opposed to just a fence. Hedge and wall are going to be the same thing as opposed to just like a picket fence or something that somebody could, could crawl through. This is something that is a barrier. That's why you need a gate in it to let people in and things in and out. You see? And so this is what God wants us to understand. There's nothing wrong with hedging against the curse. There's nothing wrong with thinking in terms of building fences in your life. It's not a lack of faith. It is faith to prosper and have more. Just because you have it doesn't mean that you depend on it or that you trust in it. That's the warnings in the Word of God. God said in Deuteronomy 8, just remember, when you prosper, don't forget that it's God that gave you the power to prosper. Remember that God did this for you. And when you read that, when you read in, in Malachi chapter 3, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the, the promises and the blessings of God the financially and every other way, understand that it's unconditional. All he asks is that you give him credit for it. He puts no limit, no cap on it. Whatever ceiling is on it in your life is the one you put on. And it's because of your thinking. And see, this is where we need the Holy Ghost and vision in our lives. Now, there's different kinds of vision, okay? I'm talking about a, a, a particular kind of vision. I'm not talking about the kind of visions where you see into the spirit realm, you know, and angels and demons and Jesus is standing in front of you. I mean, those are fine. I, I like them. But that's not the kind of vision that you just live your life for. Let me show you something over here in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 chapter, quickly. Praise the Lord. Man, God's word is so good, so good. Let's don't forget about Job. We'll come back to him. But Romans chapter 8, it says this. It's making a case. Verse 1, there's no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 5, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now, when it talks about the flesh, there's a twofold meaning here. It means the flesh in the, in the obvious sense, your flesh. But he's also talking about the law. That is the old covenant law. And he's, he's making the case here that the old covenant law was carnal. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is spiritual. The reason it was carnal, carnal just means flesh, meat, is because all it could do is work on the outside of man and protect him from the outside. But the spirit of life in Christ Jesus or the Holy Spirit works from the inside. Now, in the book of Romans, it tells us he does four things. Number one, Verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. 
How many of you are born again tonight? Born of the Spirit? The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And what does He do dwelling in you? He quickens your mortal body. Here's your health insurance. He quickens your mortal body. He makes it alive. Though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day, but that inward man has quickening power because it's the temple of the Spirit of God. And that, 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 that Spirit in you quickens it, it, it regenerates, it restores, it, 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 it brings to an active state of growth and development your mortal body. Everybody say, the Spirit dwells in me. He quickens my mortal body. He imparts his life, the same life that raised Jesus from the dead. Resurrection life in me affects my body. You see that? Now the next thing it says about the Holy Spirit is found in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So the Spirit of God leads us. Then verse 16. Well, verse, we'll read verse 52. For you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. So the third thing we see is in verse th uh, 16, that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Number one, he quickens us. Number two, he leads us. Number three, he bears witness with us. Now, the difference between being led and, and bearing witness should be obvious. The spirit bearing witness, when you, when, and all of you have experienced this, that you'll hear something, you'll see something, whether it be in church or whether it be anywhere else, and the spirit of truth abiding in you will give you a yea or a nay. He won't give you a sentence. It'll just be, that's right, or stay away from that. Don't argue with your peace. Never argue with your peace. When you've got peace about something in your spirit, now this is something that has to be developed. You may make mistakes. Maybe you've, you've probably made mistakes in the past of trying to be led, trying to, you know, know the green light from the red light or get the, the direction of the God and, and it didn't work. That's okay. You learn from it. It's a learning process. There's no shame in that. See? But he'll bear witness with you, you see. And he'll just, it'll just be a, you'll know, a knowing. This is the way. Walk in it or leave that alone. Or, you know, I, I've had the, the Spirit of the Lord just bear witness with me about so many things I've heard both positively and negatively about that's truth, that's wrong. That's not right. Don't do it. Go for it. That's him bearing witness. But then as many as are led, now this is where vision comes in. This is where God will show you things. And this is, this is uh, really... Well, let, let's, let's finish this thought. And then finally, we see in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is 
the Spirit of God giving us His help in our prayer life with His fullness and the utterance that comes from the Spirit of God. We talked a little bit yesterday morning about how you tune your spirit by praying in tongues. You tune the frequency like the old radio dial. You know, you may be hearing static, but if you'll pray in the Holy Ghost, it'll tune the dial and it'll make you sensitive to the Lord. I found, you know, this afternoon I was doing a lot of things and thinking a lot of directions. And uh, then it's time to get ready for the service. I'm thinking, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? Which way do you want me to go? And uh, all these thoughts are coming. And I said, I, I just need to do what I know to do, pray in the Holy Ghost. So I started praying in tongues, just walking around my room, praying in the Spirit, praying in other tongues. And as I did, my thoughts begin to come into focus and an order begin to be applied to the next task the next task at hand for me, which is tonight's service. See? And I begin to say, okay, this is the path that you want me to follow, or at least this is where you want me to start. Now if I know a starting place, that's all I need. Because I know how it is you get into a service and you know where to start. If you're starting with the Lord now then you may there's no telling where you may go, where you may wind up. But sometimes it's that knowing where to start. It's the scary part for ministers. Even folks that are seasoned and have been at it a long time, it's like you don't want to go in here and, and, and phone it in. Lord, I need a word. I need to know where you want me to start and at least give me the first, first lap. And then after that, you take over. You know what I'm saying. Being led. All right, now these four things. He quickens your mortal body. He leads you. He bears witness with you. He helps you in prayer with your language of prayer with utterance in the Spirit. That's what verse 28 means. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Don't take that verse out of context. All things He's talking about there have nothing to do with car wrecks, heart attacks, strokes, burglaries, anything like that. He's not talking about those things. He's talking about the things of the Spirit. These four things work together for your good because you are called of God, lovers of God, called according to his purpose. So make notes by those four things, verse 11, verse 14, verse uh, 16, and verse 26, 1, 2, 3, 4, and then tie them to verse 28, because these are the things that work together for you. I want to read to you something from the Passion Translation. Don't bring your shouting shoes tonight. I'll tell you what, if this doesn't light your fire, then your wood is just too wet. John chapter 14, you know, the Jesus speaking to his disciples in John 14 and in John 16. In both chapters, he talked about, it's good for you that I leave because the Comforter will come. You're, you're all familiar with that verse of Scripture about the Comforter coming? Now, you know this because this church is so well taught. The word Comforter there comes from a Greek word, paraclete. And it means, and the Amplified translation amplifies it to seven different meanings. 
It means counselor, and it means helper, and it means advocate, and it means standby, and so on and so forth. You know those things, right? You've read that. You've read the Amplified. Listen to this, though. Listen to this. When Jesus said another comforter, I read to you from the footnote in the Passion Translation. Oh, man, I like this. It says here, and I won't read the whole thing, but it says the Greek word is parakletos, a technical word that could be translated defense attorney. It means one called to stand next to you as a helper. Okay? But now, we go on down, and it says the Aramaic word is, and I'll pronounce it the same way, parakleta, which is taken from two root words. Number one, prak, P-R-A-Q, which means to end, finish, or to save. And number two, whatever it is, lita, which means the curse. Listen, what a beautiful word picture. The Holy Spirit comes to end the work of the curse of sin in our lives and to save us from its every effect. Paracleta means a redeemer who ends the curse. And when Jesus said, it's better for you that I go, because if I don't go, the Holy Ghost won't come, but I'll send you another comforter. What he's saying is, I'm going to send you another redeemer to end the curse. The job of the Holy Ghost is to put an end to the curse in this old boy's life. It's his job, his number one job is to put an end to the curse in your life. That's why everything he does, leading, vision, bearing witness, quickening, everything he does, helping us pray, everything he does, and more besides, is designed to put an end to the curse in your life and bring you into the blessing of Abraham that came on you when Christ bore the curse for us, according to Galatians chapter 3. Christ has redeemed us legally, officially, on the cross 2,000 years ago. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law that the blessing of Abraham might come on us that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, glory to God, and that Spirit has been given to ensure that the curse never takes root again in our lives. Glory to God. Can somebody shout with me about that for a minute? Glory to God. Woo! That's his job, Amanda, to put an end to the curse, to see to it that the curse doesn't touch you. And how does he do that? He does it like he's always done it. He leads us. He guides us. He gives us vision. He raises our sights, and he builds this hedge around us. And this hedge expands and expands and expands. You need to see it. And you guys can do it because you're in cattle country out here and you're in agricultural country. Imagine you're, imagine you're a rancher and you're in the middle of a section of land, but God is adding sections and sections and sections of land to you and acres and acres upon acres upon acres. Glory to God. And your ranch is continuing to enlarge and your cattle and your horses 
and your sheep and your crops and there's gold mines on your on your property and there's silver mines on your property and there's copper mines on your property and you're digging brass out of the hills, glory to God. And your gold is multiplying and your silver is multiplying and everything you put your hand to is being blessed, glory to God. Somebody said, boy, I'm ready to see that. See it. That's my point. That's what the spirit of God is saying tonight. See it. Don't worry about what these things see. Close your eyes and see it. Praise God. See yourself with your dreams come true. See yourself with the things that the, the desires of your heart manifested around you. See that. And if you'll give God the opportunity to show you that inside, to take it by faith. How do you take it by faith? Well, again, first thing we saw in Habakkuk 2 is just write it down. Yeah. Write it down. Just write it down. Write. Yeah. How many of you want to be debt free? Amen. Completely out of debt. Write it down. Doesn't cost you anything to write down. 2024 is my year of debt cancellation. How many of you have written it down? Well, a few brave souls raised their hands. What about the rest of you? Write it down. Write it down. How many of y'all are, you know, what's the word? Resisting. How many of you are receiving a healing that you've been receiving for a long time? Receiving the manifestation for a long time. And you've been in every prayer line and you've been had hands laid on you, and you know, you just, you, you're not giving up, but it's, it's, it's been a long time coming. What is that thing? Write it down. This is the year for me, for eyes that see and ears that hear, and joints that don't ache. I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about what do you want? What is the desire of your heart? It's by faith you're going to receive it. But understand this, it's not like you're trying to talk God into doing it. He's given you the Holy Ghost whose primary job. The scripture in the first chapter of Ephesians, <clears throat> I want you to notice what it says here. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about in Christ, we've already, verse 11, we've already obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, I'm in verse 13, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Everybody say sealed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says much the same thing. It calls the Holy Ghost the earnest of our inheritance. 
You see, there's coming a time when you're going to get a resurrection body. There's coming a time when you'll see Jesus face to face and you'll see him and you'll be just like him. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, a generation of us are going to experience what the, the scripture calls the catching away of the church, the rapture. And we're, we're going to, we're going to, we're, we're, we're going to be hyperdimensional beings at that point. Right now, you're restricted to four, length, breadth, height, and time. But you're going to be able to walk through walls like Jesus did at that time. And you're just, you're, you're going to be able to fly without uh, an engine. And you're, you're just, it's just, uh, I, I don't know what all it's going to be, but what I've seen is mighty, mighty exciting. And I, I know that he's got an eternity to show surprises to me. So I don't know the half of it. But, but, but until that time, I've been given the Holy Ghost to keep me healthy, to keep me wealthy, to keep me, to keep me safe. I said, well, then why is there so much problems even among Christians? Because so many don't know. And it's faith that, allowed, that, that enables us to walk in this. But here's the thing to remember about the Holy Ghost. You may leave your Bible at home, but wherever you go, the Holy Ghost is there. And now, when you, and how, how long y'all been married? 14 years. 14 years. Congratulations. How long was your engagement? Six months, that's good. <laughs> Did he give you something when he proposed to you as a token uh, that the marriage was coming? Did he give you an engagement ring? Eventually. Eventually. <laughs> well, he's not Jesus. I mean, <laughs> but you, before you married, you got an engagement ring. Or at least you should have, right? Okay. All right. No pressure here, brother. Just... <laughs> We learn as we go, don't we? The word in your Bible translated, er, translated earnest, the Holy Ghost is the earnest. That's the word in the Greek. It means engagement ring. That's what that means. The earnest of our inheritance, it's an engage, the Holy Ghost is our engagement ring. Now, when you get married, do you take the engagement ring off? No, you just put on another one on top of it, don't you? You never lose the engagement ring. And the Holy Ghost is your engagement ring. He's been given. He'll never be taken away. He will always be with you. And he will always have the assignment to keep you experiencing only the best that God has to offer. He's your constant reminder that everything that's his is yours. See, when you married, when you married Wes there, Debbie, your family enlarged. <laughs> when we married, when we got engaged to Jesus, when we received him, our family enlarged. We've got a lot of brothers and sisters now. We ought to treat each other that way. We really ought to treat one another that way. Amen. But that's the job of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Thinking about the Spirit of God 
being there for the sole purpose of protecting and blessing and being sure that the curse never gets close to us. And so he'll show you things to come, and he wants you to take that by faith, and he wants you to make it your own with steps of faith. And like I say, one of the first and simplest ones is just write it down. By doing that, you, 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 you take a step of faith that turns an idea that has no substance into something that is being given substance. Faith is the substance, or faith gives substance to the things hoped for. And as simple and as non-big uh, deal as it seems, as it sounds, simply writing it down when the Lord shows it to you is really all he needs. But he needs it. He needs that. See, in other words, when, when you proposed, you needed her to say yes. You didn't force her to marry you. <laughs> I need another volunteer in here. I don't, I'm not getting much cooperation here from the, from the second, second row. Uh, I think the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak up here. <laughs> but that's the Holy Ghost job. Isn't that beautiful? He is our engagement ring. Glory to God. I don't know about you, but that just, that just blesses me. That blesses me to no end. When, when in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they were like we're going to be. They weren't like you see in the, in the old paintings, you know, just two normal three-dimensional human beings walking around naked and too stupid to know it. <laughs> They weren't like that. They, Adam and Eve walked around in the Garden of Eden like a flame of fire. They were clothed. They weren't naked. They were clothed. They were clothed with God's glory. See, you look at, the, that, at creation and you realize that for the most part, I'd say a good 99% of, or a plus, 99 plus percent of all living creatures, they are clothed from the inside. They may be born without it, but they immediately begin to grow naturally, normally from within. I mean, the only exception I can think of is like a hermit crab that has to find a shell to live in. But birds grow feathers. Cattle grow fur, hair. Um, depending on the climate, you know, I mean, animals are prepared for, for that climate. They're adaptable, but it comes from the inside. That's the way God created Adam. Adam was clothed with God's glory, which came from the inside. And that was the tragedy of this thing, that when he fell, he lost that connection with God, and he looked, and he saw he was naked. It's not like he had a revelation, oh, I never noticed that before. He had never been naked before. The glory's gone. You wouldn't have been able to see their physical features, if you'd have been in the, in the Garden of Eden, what you'd have seen was a glow. And when Adam lost contact with the glory of God and with the Spirit of God, now then he's, his spirit is in prison. And he is, he is basically, his life becomes a prison 
that is set by the boundaries of his mind and his body. And he has to learn to survive with nothing but his senses and his wits. So now then, what he sees with his eyes, that's the way it is. And if that rhinoceros horse charges me, I'm going to get trampled. You see what I mean? He has to, he has to, he's, it's what he sees now. That's what is. But before it wasn't like that. Before he's operating in vision, in the vision of God. He's operating in dominion. I'm going to preach that, brother. I tell you what, I've been thinking about that all day. I'm going to preach that. Dominion. God wants us walking in dominion again. And the Holy Ghost has restored that. And doesn't the scripture say that we now, talking about the glory of God, have this treasure in earthen vessels? The glory that Adam manifest to all the world, now we have it inside. And it may not always manifest itself in the glow and the, you know, the, 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 the aura, if you will, that Adam manifested, but it manifests itself in the hedge that God will build in your life if you'll just cooperate with the Holy Ghost. And what happened to Job? We'll just close with this. What happened to Job in the end? Job licked his wounds for a while, and he said, the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. You can turn back over there. And, 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 and he said, man, you know, it's, life's rough and life's hard, and the Lord gives and the Lord gives away, bless his name. I mean, takes away, bless his name. And then he had some other denominational people come along and help him. And uh, they... Uh, you know, our good Baptist brothers moved in there and said, well, you know, God will do all these things and teach you stuff. And, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, the uh, Presbyterians moved in on him. And, and anyway, I mean, he's just got plenty of help commiserating. But uh, finally, a faith guy came along. <laughs> uh, huh? Yeah, chapter 32. We got that faith guy named, what was his name, Elihu? Elihu shows up in chapter 32. And he starts talking faith. And he starts talking about the greatness of God. And finally, Job comes to his senses and says, you know, I, I, I realized something in chapter 42. He said, I'm an idiot. I've been talking when I should have been listening, so I'm just going to listen right now and let you, uh, let you uh, be the boss. And verse 7 says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words, Unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz and so forth, my wrath is kindled against you. He didn't like the advice they were given. And he told them how that they could save their bacon. And then, and then in verse 10, and it says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And the Amplified Translation says, God turned the captivity of Job and restored his fortunes. Restoration. I like that. And, and uh, there came unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all that had been in his acquaintances before and so forth, and they brought him money. <laughs> when God turned it, now then the money stopped running away from him and started coming at him. 
Money. First thing that happened after God turned his captivity was money started coming at him. Oh, that's just so not very spiritual. <laughs> Seemed like God and Job were okay with it, doesn't it? Money, money's the first thing that started coming and an earring of gold. A piece of money and an earring of gold. So he had, boy, can you imagine his, his uh, uh, jewelry box by the end of this thing? He had a lot of, of, of mismatched earrings, but they were all gold. <laughs> so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more more? More than his beginning. 2024 is my year for. The Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep. He only had 7,000 to start with. And he had 6,000 camels. only had 3,000 to start with. And 1,000 yoke of oxen. only had 500 to start with. And 1,000 she asses. only had 500 of those. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Wait a minute. Where's the double? Oh, wait. Don't you know, his sons and daughters, they're eternal beings. Now he's got seven sons and daughters on earth, but he's got seven sons and daughters in heaven. He got twice as much as he had before. See, there again, the beauty of Jesus and the Holy Ghost and his power and his redemption and his blessing. Even if the devil has managed to steal a life, it's in your future. That person is waiting on you. I said, well, I don't know that they went to heaven. Well, you don't know they didn't. And God loves you so much, don't discount what God can do. Sure, I'm going to tell you something. My dogs are in heaven. Now, you can read books that tell you that animals don't do that. I don't care. Doesn't say they don't in the Bible. And I like something I heard Billy Graham say one time. Somebody asked him, do dogs go to heaven? He said, well, you know, the Bible really doesn't say one way or the other. But I'll tell you this. God loves you so much that if it's important to you, it's important to him. He'll do it just because it's born to you. Now, we know there's going to be animals in heaven. Why can't some of them be Absolutely. friends that we've made down here? You do what you want to with it. I don't care. My dogs will be there. <laughs> oh, yeah. My dad's there. Glory to God. My uncles are there. My grandparents are there. I'll be there. We'll be together again. So, okay, they went on ahead. Is it a time to grieve? Is it something to be sad about that they got to enjoy that before I did? Nah. nah. People have a wrong view of funerals. They have a wrong take on them. They'll stand up there and they'll say, oh, you know, we, our, our dear departed, and oh, you know, we... We all feel the loss. You know, I, I look at where believers are concerned. 
we're not the ones that lost. And they're certainly not the ones that lost. You know who lost? It's the people that are here that never got the opportunity to know such fine people as the ones that have gone on ahead. They're the ones that lost. But if they'll receive Jesus, they'll get to meet him over on the other side. I don't know why I'm going this direction, but praise the Lord, it's good, isn't it? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So, he called the name of the first Jemima, verse 14. And she went into the pancake business and became a millionaire. Verse 15, verse 15, and in all the land there were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. And this is the will of God for each and every one of us. And you say amen. amen. Vision. Get a vision. Let the Holy Ghost just run wild in your imagination. Tear your old fences down and let him build hedges of protection and hedges of peace. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Let's all stand. Uh, let's, let's do this again. Let's just act on what we've heard. Pray in the Holy Ghost here for another moment. Glory to God. Father, we just thank you for the help of the Holy Ghost. Thank you that he is our engagement ring. He's here to quicken. He's here to lead. He's here to bear witness. I pray, Lord. I pray for everybody in this, in this meeting and everybody that is watching and everybody who will come in contact with this truth. I pray for impartation of the vision that you want us to see. Help me pray in the Holy Ghost here. Ribosto to komochidaha, frindo, 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 frino to to kolobokono manamases dereka, redisis kiri kalata, remoko kolamana kabaseya kata, shikahata hata da samolo toto, veneke se 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 kiri bolo toto, fere bangroba mochibala kaparabata se se kate tekeske, sarakokorebea rabada bosokorabata, feluto, feluto, feluto. Fel rutu, fel rutu, fel rutu sumulukupaya totoko. Hallelujah. 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 I, I'm remind, reminded of a word here. I, I want to minister this to someone or some ones. And I think actually it may fit a lot of situations because we're all human and we all encounter the same enemy same adversary. But Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 17. He says, For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord. 
because they called thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, who no man seeks after. Other translations say, Who no man cares for, or who no man thinks much of. And uh, that word wounds, I, for, for years, the, the Lord just brings that back to me from time to time. And I think it's because, you know, he, he, he not only wanting to help others, but he wants to help me regarding these things. You know how there's two things he's talking about here. He says, I'll restore health to you. That's pretty obvious, health, your physical body. But then he said, I'll heal you of your wounds. Now, I realize that you can have physical wounds that are not sicknesses, but you know, you can also have other kind of wounds. And uh, you can have emotional wounds. You can have, you can have a, a wounded spirit. Matter of fact, the book of Proverbs says that the strong spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. When you've got a, a strong spirit, it'll overcome what's going on on the outside. But if your spirit gets wounded, if your heart gets wounded, then, um, then um, that, that's hard to deal with sometimes. You know, you just, you, you just, hmm, it's hard to overcome. And I've noticed this about wounds, you know, like if you were to say injure your shoulder, boom. Even if you, if that shoulder got better, if, if the, the reminder of that wound was there, you'd favor it a lot. A lot of people favor parts of their body that have been wounded. Like, for instance, they won't use that arm to pick up a bucket, they'll use the other arm. Or you, you got a hurt shoulder and you walk through a door, you kind of turn to protect that part of your body that has been hurt. And a lot of Christians are, are hampered and they're compromised in their, in their lives in a lot of ways because of wounds emotional wounds. I, I, I'm not getting into uh, psychiatry or psychology now, but you can be wounded in your soul. You can be wounded in your, in your emotions. Jesus said, interesting, in Luke chapter four, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to what? Preach the gospel to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind. But one of the things he said was to heal the broken hearted. Now listen, there's an anointing a Holy Ghost anointing to heal the broken hearted. And he's interested in that and he wants, he wants to help that. And what happens is when people's heart has been wounded or when their soul has been wounded, they'll favor that. They find it hard to trust. They, they find it hard to, to, to uh, not just trust other people, but even trust God. Because you got to realize that in trust in God, a lot of times He's going to use other people to answer your prayers and to help you and to facilitate change in your life. But remember this, Jesus bled for our sins. He was beaten and by His stripes we are healed, but He was also wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions. And there was a crown of thorns put on his head to take the cares off of our minds and take our worries away. And 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 I just I just am impressed to say this right now and let you know that there is an anointing here tonight to heal those emotional and soulish and heartfelt wounds. 
And, and, and I encourage you tonight, lay it down and let it go. Whatever it is.